This is an ABC podcast. Iceland. Just from what it says on the tin, you know this is an island where nature has the upper hand. This is a place of, of natural drama, ice, wind, and in counterpoint, an active, steaming, seething underworld of constant volcanic activity. It's an island that literally shifts under your feet, quaking, erupting, spreading itself into the sea in molten flows of rock. All of that while freezing. The human here is at once a a fixed point and, and a dot. And it's an awareness of their world that gives Icelanders, I think, a certain lightness of being. People content with the elements and, and the fate that they deliver. It's a hugely attractive quality. So let's head to the place where this all comes together. Iceland's capital, Reykjavik. Attention, passengers. I'm Jonathan Green. This is Return Ticket, the podcast that transports you to far-flung places, familiar and unexpected. We're taking travel off the beaten track. In this series, we ask the eternal questions. Where do I go to make it in Hollywood? Is Venice dying a slow death? And is Tasmania really terrible? Iceland's population, it's smaller than Canberra. There's about 372,000 people on the entire island and, and just over a third of the population is concentrated here in Reykjavik, located on, on a peninsula in the island's southwest. I'm downtown, looking around me now. Reykjavik reminds me a little bit of a more orderly, slightly more colourful version of Hobart. It's another harbour city, at low rise, so that even a cathedral spire has prominence. Medium density wrapped around calm waters, a horizon dominated by mountains and snow. And like Hobart, Reykjavik was, was once defined by its extremity, a cold, dreary city at the end of the world. But... In recent decades, my, my, hasn't, hasn't Reykjavik found its groove? That's so hot right now. Uh, it's a place dripping with Nordic cool. Trendy bars, trendy restaurants, a plethora of, of different museums uh, and plenty of live music. Remember, Iceland punches above its weight when it comes to producing world-renowned musicians like Björk, Sigur Ross, Oliver Arnold's Vikinger Olafsson. Amazing. Pretty good for a place with just over 370,000 residents. But right now, I'm in central Reykjavik and, and the city's main cathedral, Holskrimkirkja. It dominates the skyline. It's got a dramatic form, concrete columns made to look like basalt flows pointing to the sky. I can see why some tourists project their Game of Thrones fantasies onto Reykjavik. 
Beside it uh, are rows and rows of wooden houses in bright pastel colours, like Lego blocks arranged straight lines on a gentle slope. In one of those homes, I'm going to meet Sigridor Hagelin Bjornsdottir. She's an Icelandic novelist and a news producer for Iceland's public broadcaster, RUV. And she has kindly offered to have me over for tea. Oh, I think, yes, I think this is her place coming up now. Thank you for, for taking me into your home. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you. This beautiful study, this is your workroom? It's actually, yeah, it's a part of my living room. Me and my husband, we are both writers. We are, we are novelists and we, we have two studies in our home and this is one of them. One of them is here upstairs and the other one is, is down in the basement. And sort of, uh, we take turns working in them. And uh, this particular study... Well, it's, uh, it's, we live in, in, in an old house in, in downtown Reykjavik. It's not really an old house. It's only 98 years old. But in, in Icelandic terms, that's a really, really old house. Why, why are the buildings in Reykjavik so, so new? Well, uh, we used to just live in, like, basically holes in the ground in the 19th century. So we basically just, you know, we lived in these turfed buildings that, that really don't keep well. So they were like, like, like hobbit holes or something like that. So there are not many of them left of the original buildings. I'm glad, I'm glad we're not in the basement because well, we can see out the window here. And is that a bird colony outside? Yes, yes. We have this lake in the, in the middle of the city centre. It's not a very um, big lake and it's basically very shallow and very dirty, but it's actually there. So there are a lot of birds living here, um, swans and, and ducks. And there is this bird colony uh, just outside the window, more or less. And it's uh, the Arctic tern. It's like a migratory bird that comes here. And we have a few harbingers of, of spring, but uh, the Kriya is, is one of them. The Arctic tern is, is we, we call her Kriya which is basically because she, she makes the sound, kriya, 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 when she's defending her babies, her, her, her nests. And it's a place too, and, and you've mentioned this with, with the birds, a, a, a place so close to the, the nature that surrounds it, and the volcanoes, of course. That's actually one of the things we can see from this window. If you look over the airfield over there, and those mountains, this is the, the Reykjanes Peninsula, I think there are seven or eight volcanic systems on the Reykjanes Peninsula. We knew that they had been erupting in the past, but it was 800 years ago that the last eruption took place. And then all of a sudden in 2021, they started erupting again. And it was really, really exciting because it's so close to the... I mean, it's so close to the capital. It's really, it takes you 45 minutes to go over there and, and get a really good look at it. Did you go and look? Oh, yes, I did. But it's a nice volcanic eruption. It's a nice kind. It's just producing a lot of lava. It's building up the country. It's uh, making Iceland bigger. You know, that's one of the reasons why we don't really need an army in Iceland. We don't have any military in Iceland. Is, is that we don't need to invade anybody to make our country bigger. You know, it just grows by itself. Yeah, it's perfect. 
And actually, when when it was when it was erupting, we could actually see the the plume of smoke of of the volcanic fumes. Just you know, it it was absolutely it was like a big flower blossoming out there in the horizon. And then, by coincidence, your your last novel, The Fires, written in this very house, was was released a few months before that 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 beautiful eruption. Yes, or, or, or parts of it at least. I, I wanted to write about people who deal with volcanoes and, and scientists, but I was really, really interested in, in writing about that sort of a person who could think about the Earth as something like a feeling, living person. And the strange thing is that I wrote this book before the eruption started on the Reykjanes Peninsula. And I, I, it's it's really it's it's the weirdest coincidence in my in, in my life because I started writing it and I I finished writing it in in yeah in November 2020 and then four months later it actually started erupting there, only a few kilometers away from the place where it happens in the in the novel. So it was a it was an amazing. Well, stroke of luck or, or coincidence or what you call it, but... Um, you created a disturbance in nature. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I have a theory. I think books have a way of knowing much more than the people who actually write them. You, you don't really control a book as you're writing any, any more than you, you control a volcano. It's a, a, a touching humility. <laughs> Thank you for showing me your home and, and for this conversation. I... I'm off to meet more people, but I wonder, can you, if I wanted a quick snack, <laughs> where, where, where would you suggest I go? There is a cafe out, out by the harbour, and they serve, they serve coffee and, and cakes for the fishermen when they come in. What is that place called? Café Wagner. It's actually a house. So they took a house and they just put these tiny little wheels under the house so they, they are allowed to sell, sell coffee and cakes, you know, 24 hours a day. I will. Digrido, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, so I've been to the Café Wagnin that Sigridor recommended, tucked away here, down by the docks. The beautiful thing about this city is that everything is so walkable. It was about 20 minutes north to get from her place to this café, and it's delightfully quaint. It looked like a weatherboard shack from the outside. Inside, well, things hadn't really changed since the 1970s. It, felt like a ski lodge, lots of warm woods, plenty of, of nautical-themed decoration. And the specialties? Well, as you can imagine, a lot of fish. But I, I had to wolf everything down because I simply had to double back to a place that I spotted while walking over here. It's the Iceland Phallological Museum. Yes, you heard that right. Phallological, as in... The Study of Penises. That museum's just on the other side of the harbour, and near the award-winning Harper Concert Hall, a glittering glass box on the water. But back to the museum, it bills itself as holding the world's largest collection of mammal penises. Reykjavik simply has everything.
I didn't expect to see someone at the door. Uh, my name's Jonathan. Uh, what's yours? Welcome, Jonathan. My name is Thordal Thordason, and I am, well, I guess you could say a COO and uh, the assistant curator of the Icelandic Philological Museum. Shall we, shall we wander in? Let, let's, let's, I, w- I want to have a look at the, the collection proper. Take me on in. Yeah, OK, we are now walking past our gift shop and through our bistro. We come to the gate, which leads to our exhibit. How many penises do you have in there? Roughly 450 penises at the moment from about 150 different mammal species. We've been collecting since uh, 1973, but uh, the museum opened in 1997. So, yeah, even prior to opening, that was 25 years of penis collecting. Where, where were those penises before you opened? Uh, they were in our uh, founder's private collection. Actually, his collection began when he was a headmaster in a middle school in uh, a small town here in Reykjavik, which had, like, I guess you could say, a booming whaling industry. He he spoke a lot about how, back in the day, everything was always utilized for the animal, and his friends decided to play a joke on him. They had summer jobs at the whaling stations, and some of them at a slaughterhouse, and well, the penises weren't generally used, so they began bringing him, like, several the, the penises from the animals and uh well he, he decided to take part in the joke and this developed into a passion and actually some of the biggest ones are from uh, beached whales and uh eventually his wife said you can't keep the penises at the house anymore so what do you do you you open a museum i think is the logical course you talk there about whale penises what sort of dimensions are we talking about i i believe the you know the largest penis on, on earth is uh, from the uh, blue whale they, i think uh, the average uh, blue whale penis is, is somewhere from 220 centimeters to 280 i think the largest one ever was well over three meters or, or even even four meters and that's just the outer penis which is actually the, the only part of the penis which, which is exposed before, you, let's say, copulation or something like that. And is that... Uh, I wonder if donations, both, both human and animal, are they uh, a, a frequent thing? Uh, fairly frequent. We get anywhere between maybe four to 20 penises in a year. And, well, human donations are extremely rare. I, I understand that men do not want to part with their man, even even post mortem. But you know, at the moment, we have a penis from a 95-year-old Icelandic bachelor who uh, who always kept a well, pretty interesting uh, reaction. Okay, but what 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 is what is um, exceptional about the, the, this man's penis? Well. Uh, Often at about 75 years of age, the penis tissue begins to deteriorate, it shrinks a bit. When you're 95 years old, that's about roughly 20 years of the penis shrinking, I guess. And uh, people have to look at it for a a bit of a time before they actually, you know, realize what it is. I'm I'm impressed. Do you think it says something, the the, the fact that the Philological Museum is in Reykjavik, does this say something about Icelandic culture? Honestly, I can say that we are not a particularly phallic culture. I mean, even, you know, back in the day, we were, I think, about as prudish as anyone else. But 
today it's it's kind of been a culture especially today i think live and let, let live i mean i remember my parents asking themselves when they first heard about the museum my mother was just like why would anybody do that but then she like never spoke of it again live and let live uh, it, it's a, a phrase a lot of icelanders seem to live by oh uh, and speaking of which sorry i thought oh, i've i've got to run uh, i've got a date with a volcano Well, I, I did not expect that chat about phalluses to be to be handled so matter-of-factly. Uh, but, you know, this is Iceland, uh, where you can lean into a joke and, and turn that into a rather serious museum. Now, I'm chasing protrusions of a different kind. I'm here at the car park of one of, one of the main entrances to the Fagadalfjall volcano. It's about a 45-minute drive south from Reykjavik, but I took a circuitous route and, and stopped at the Blue Lagoon. I simply had to take a dip to the geothermal pool that's in all the Iceland tourism ads. <sighs> Refreshing. <laughs> it's, it's a glittering patch of light blue waters placed in, in, in stark contrast with the, the dark volcanic terrain that surrounds it. It's part of the same volcanic range you, you see from Sigurdor's house, the, the Reykjanes Peninsula. I'm here to meet Dave McGarvey, a, a Scottish volcanologist who has researched Iceland's volcanoes for about 30 years. Now, he's kindly offered uh, to take me on a hike, a safe one, to see Fagradalsvjalf in action. Uh, uh, the trouble is, this part of Iceland means howling winds. Look, let me demonstrate. See what I mean? <laughs> the winds! The winds are so unpredictable here. Anyway, what I'm thinking is that I have a little chat with Dave in the car before we head off. Plus, I'll, I'll need full concentration when we start that walk. Ah, yes, David. He, he says he can see me. He's walking over now. Dave, it's wild out there. I think maybe we should just sit here in the car before we, we go for our little our hike because we'll be, we'll be shouting over the wind out there. Yeah, hey, uh, it's a pretty sound idea. Um, really, the uh, Atlantic out there is uh, the waves are high at the moment, the wind's blowing in. There's no shortage of wind in Iceland because there's no trees here, so, yeah. I mean, Iceland, it's... It, if nothing else, this is a place tremendously in touch with, with, with nature, with the, with the world that creates it. And, and Reykjavik is, of course, flanked by volcanoes to its south. Yeah, this is exactly where this is. Um, you're about 25 kilometres away from Reykjavik. And, um, but Reykjavik's been well chosen by the, the people who settled there. It's on a number of hills and uh, there's only been one lava, I think, um, that's gone down into Reykjavik, down a little narrow valley about 4,000 years ago. Uh, it's unlikely, really unlikely, to be affected by uh, a new eruption in this area, but uh, the Icelanders are making plans just in case something unexpected happens. And of course, volcanoes are not that predictable. Now, tell us where we are today, what we're looking out on. This is a place of many volcanoes. 
Yeah, this, this part of South Iceland is called the Rikenes Peninsula, and it's where the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, the submarine ridge, gradually rises up to actually meet Iceland itself. And it's a volcanically active area, but in a very peculiar way, because it has these long periods of 600 to 1,000 years where nothing happens, and then you get a new phase of activity taking place that might last a century. So many people thought this part of Iceland was dead because for generations it's done nothing. And yet these volcanoes, there, there is a certain gentle elegance in the way that they erupt. And Iceland's volcanoes tend to erupt in a fairly gentle manner and uh, we call these tourist eruptions, or at least Icelanders call them tourist eruptions because... You can get a lot of people around a nice lava flow, and it's great for business. People are drawn to it, like like moths to a flame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Being next to an active lava flow is is a wonderful experience. And, uh, you know, I hope you'll have that experience yourself when we get out of the car and uh, fight our way through. But the heat escaping from a lava is uh, it's really hard to kind of get your head around until you've actually experienced it. You know, it's three, four times hotter than you get your oven. It's just a wall of heat that you feel. But lava has this, it has a very interesting pattern to it in that it'll start to surge forward gently and then it'll stop and it'll find another pathway. And that bit of lava that stops produces a, a chilled crust and you can actually walk up to it. You can even walk on it if you want to. And I shouldn't be saying this, but it's actually fairly safe. Well, well yes, I've been intrigued by that. <laughs> I don't want to fall through that crust. <laughs> well, uh, do you remember the Lord of the Rings where Gollum fell into Mount Doom and got consumed by the lava and the, the ring was melted and everything was fine? That's what I was kind of imagining, yeah. Yeah, the, the reality is that um, lava is about three times denser than a human being. Concrete's about twice as dense as a human being. And you don't sink into wet concrete. So I'll just fry <laughs> happily on the surface. <laughs> Yeah, a very nice way to die because uh, your body's mostly water. That's going to flash into steam. The fat's going to melt. The horrible way to die. Uh, I don't know that anybody has actually died falling onto a lava flow. Certainly not in modern times. But you certainly won't sink in. That's one thing you won't have to worry about. You know, suddenly being buried by the lava and sinking gently into it. All right, I think Dave, it's time. Let's, let's get out there. Let's let's check out this lava flow. Yeah, just. Um, Watch where I'm walking. Don't go wandering off on your own. And uh, if you see me running, try and catch up. Okay, here we go. Bolton Rock, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> is that what it is, by the way? Now, Dave and I have been lucky enough to, to catch a gap in the weather to watch the crater do its thing. We've found a little safe nook here. And watching lava flows is, is captivating in real life. An, an elegant, earthly burp giving new mass to Iceland. And out here, I, I can't help but think how, how Icelanders are in constant dialogue with elemental forces and in touch with, with, with geological time. And whether they're in Reykjavik or, or further afield, the best plan is to have no plan, because things, things could turn on a dime. The wind could change, the lava might flow, and perhaps that's what's created this distinct lightness of being. 
So you write that novel, you, you open a penis museum, you find beauty in the Earth's volcanic surges. You do what Fordor said, live and let live. You might even book that trip to Reykjavik. You've been listening to Return Ticket. You heard from Sigridor Hagalin Bjornsdottir, Thordor Thordeson, and Dave McGarvey. Producers are Hayley Crane and Alan Whedon. Technical production and musical theme by Brendan O'Neill. Executive producer is Rhiannon Brown. Tell your friends how much you love this. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Green. G'day, return ticketers for the Badhams here. If you want to keep travelling, why don't you join us at Late Night Live? Oh, the places will take you. We'll go to Japan to hear about Japanese humour. Then we might head to the remote Faroe Islands for a bite at the Michelin two-star restaurant there. You can get analysis from people who live and breathe the countries that they're talking about and you can time travel too, perhaps back to the 16th century to hear how African journeys shaped the new world or ancient Persia where the intricate road systems crisscrossed the empire and it's very hard to say crisscrossed. Follow Late Night Live on the ABC Listen app. See you there. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.